The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, Week 5 Recap Edition. We are finally through this week after a rare Tuesday night game between the Titans and the Bills. If I remember correctly, the first Tuesday NFL game in 70 years. So it's it's been that kind of season. Second (laughs) in 70 years. It's it's been that kind of year. Uh, 2020 is wild, but... Uh, almost as wild as all of the crazy blowouts we had in week five. Some maybe expected, some not so expected. So we got a lot of football to talk about, EJ. How you doing, buddy? And what are you drinking? I'm good. I'm hanging in. It feels like we've had a, a full NFL week. And by that, it feels like we started on Thursday. Uh, felt like not a two-day gap until Sunday, and then we played Sunday and Monday and Tuesday, and now we are finally done with Week 5, so lots of football to talk about. Uh, I've seen multiple calls on Twitter for football every day of the week. Uh, I think people would be into that. Um, I think it's nice to get a break a couple of days and not have I, live I games. But exhausted. I would be exhausted. Yeah, I can see the appeal, but um, yeah, careful what you wish for, folks. But what am I drinking? I have um, one of the offerings from Booth Bay Craft Brewery in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, and it is the Ken Brown Ale, and it is indeed a brown ale, and it is named after a guy named Ken Brown. It is a 16-ounce can, uh, again, from Booth Bay, Maine. And uh, I've had a couple of these. They're really nice. It's 5.6 ABV, so very sippable, uh, delicious. Uh, Looking forward to it. What do you have to drink? We didn't talk about this, so this is going to be a surprise. I I got my tried and true Lagavulin 16 neat going for me tonight. Uh, Much higher ABV, clearly. (laughs) A little bit. I, I don't recommend you drink 16 ounces of that. I mean, you can, but I can't guarantee you'll survive. <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> I'd make it through about eight before I was done. <laughs> it's uh, probably, I think, the quintessential Isla single malt scotch. Just heavy, heavy peat. You know, it's like you're drinking a fireplace. Briny. It's uh, very <laughs> reflective of... That's what they call it, briny. You know, the... the, the no, I was of, laughing at the fireplace, not the briny. But it's, it's, uh, it is an acquired <laughs> taste. I will say that. Uh, I happen to absolutely love Isla scotches. Many people, even people who like scotch, do not like Islas because they are 
um, let's just say harsh. <laughs> but I, I'm a big Isla fan. Lagavulin 16 is one of my favorite, right up there with probably the Brooklyn Port Charlotte uh, and Lafroy 10 are probably kind of like my holy trinity for Isla scotches, and also my wife's least favorite alcohol on the face of the planet. But more with for that you. Being said, <laughs> yeah, more for me, clearly. Uh, but with that being said, uh, we want to get in the point after where we talk about some things that we did not get to talk about in last week's show. Uh, maybe just because we didn't see the games at the time or we just didn't have time to hit on it. And a few points we want to get to for this week's point after. Some of them applying again to this week. Uh, Cooper Cup just keeps showing up, making huge plays, justifying that contract. Believe it or not, he's tied right now for his career high in yards per game at about 72.6. So he's on track for another 1,100-yard season, probably you know somewhere between 8 to 11 touchdowns again. I mean, he is one of the most, quote-unquote, automatic receivers in the league right now in terms of consistency. Won't put up elite numbers every week, but you, you kind of look at him at the end of Week 17, you're like, damn, he did it again. He got another 1,000 yards, you know, high catch rate clutch on third down he's just he's one of the game's most underrated players yeah it's amazing for a guy that gets as much press and plays in as big a market as he does but you know he gets overshadowed by the other guy every week a couple weeks ago was tyler higby with you know three touchdowns and and we talked about robert woods last week as being a good all-around football player he had another big play this week but cooper cup is always there and he's one of those guys that's always been there through college he was exactly the same way he was hyper productive and a lot of people said oh won't translate right it's coming up almost two levels coming from a smaller college in Washington, that's not going to, that's not going to make it on the NFL stage. And he's just doing the same thing he always does. And I realized we hadn't talked about him yet this year, again, probably because we just sort of expect him to be doing those kind of things. But yet here he is, like you said, on pace to do it again. So worth the mention. And another guy that has not been that consistent, but has made a play, or it feels like to me he's made a play every week, and he made another big one this week, is Kyler Fackrell. Currently on the Giants this Mm -hmm. week, he had a huge play for an interception return, ended up punching it into the end zone. He had a big sack last week versus the Rams against Whitworth to end a drive. It was a big part of keeping that game close for as long as it was. He just, he's not a player that I loved coming out when he was drafted. Had a little bit of a flash with the Packers. Had some big plays. Got some Packer fans really excited. And then sort of settled back into sort of more what I thought was his level as a player. But boy, the Giants have not had a great season. But Kyler Fackrell has made at least one big play every week, it feels like. Yeah, last week it was, you know, that big third down sack on Jared Goff. Which, again, that that game... I was as surprised as anybody that that game was even close in the fourth quarter, but ending a drive and and kind of stealing a possession for your team is is one of those reasons why, you know, it was third and five. He beat Andrew Whitworth, didn't beat him on the first move, but it's a hustle play. And we'll talk about a couple other hustle rushers later in this show, but just kind of sticking with it, dragging him down, forcing a punt, scoring on the ensuing drive. Like, those are the kind of plays that even if you're a vastly inferior team like the Giants, it'll keep you in it. This week it was the pick six, you know, giving them seventeen three lead against Dallas, even though they ultimately lost that game. Again, you know, they're they're the Giants are in some of these games with much better teams, uh, partially because of what Fackrell's doing. So he's 
again, he's not a great player, but he's having a good year. And I think that, you know, kudos to him for that. Um, another guy who I think is kind of under the radar having a, a really good year, almost like a like a James White type guy, is Miles Gaskin down in Miami, where, again, just like James White, not going to put up crazy numbers every week, but seems like every single touch he gets is going for a first down. You know, he's, he's a third down safety blanket in the past game. Um, you know, he'll bust off a couple nice runs a game. Never going to get a whole lot of touches, but... You know, I remember talking to um, my buddy Travis Wingfield, who's over in Dolphins Media in Miami, works for the team, and you know, he was sending me, you know, message during training camp, and he's like, "Dude, you you gotta draft Miles Gaskin. Like, that's that's the guy here for them. Like, when a play absolutely needs to be made." And so far, Travis has been right. Gaskin every single week shows up with at least two or three big plays to keep this offense on the field. Yeah, not flashy, but effective is the note that I have. And that's almost the exact same note I had when I scouted him coming out of college. And I thought, hey, here's a guy you're going to be able to get late. He's never going to go high, you know, late round, possibly UDFA. But he's going to be one of those guys that when he gets his touches, uh, the notes I have for him say pro. He understood. Mm -hmm. He had a ton of touches in college was very productive and did the same thing, Did was productive with his touches, helped his team move the chains, was a productive part of the offense. You look down, Miles Gaskin is not going to have you know, 130, 140 yards for the Dolphins. He's going to have 50 yards rushing, you know, like you said, 20 receiving, you know, three receptions, two of those for first downs. You know, this week he got a touchdown. That's... I think James White is a very apt comparison and you know, he's just doing it. He's not going to be in that top tier. We talk about those, those high end running backs that got all the contracts. We talk about Camaro. We talk about cook. We talk about CMC, all those guys. He's not that guy. He's that glue guy on offense. That's going to do what needs to be done. He's going to be a pro about it. He's going to be super consistent. And you know, I think those guys deserve a mention too, because he's helping power that Miami offense. And when it's third and seven, he's going to be on the field. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Uh, a guy that, uh, you know, we both talked about, you at length, um, I brought him up in some key situations, is Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones is a guy that can look really, really good, but has sort of two issues that combined or hybridized to make a really nasty situation for an NFL quarterback. And that's his inability to feel the rush coming on a regular basis and his propensity to put the ball on the ground when he gets hit. I think uh, there was a stat that came up and said that, you know, Daniel Jones has had a fumble in 13 of his last 16 games. And that was a couple of weeks ago. And that just stunned me that a guy was dropping the ball once a game, pretty much on average. You just, you can't have that, you know? Yeah, the Giants got some of those back. They didn't lose them all, but you just can't have that. And combined with his sort of completely tone-deaf rush radar that just doesn't pick it up coming around the corner, he gets hit a lot. And often when he gets hit like that, he puts the ball on the ground. And it's starting to feel to me like that combination of issues is just more than he's going to be able to overcome because he would need one to get away from the other. If he didn't have both, it feels like he could mitigate one and or the other, but he has both. And I, I don't think it's too early. It feels like 
the Giants don't have their guy. And people will get, be up in arms and say, oh, it's, you know, he's a young player. You can't give up on him, all this. Well, there's something to be said, too, about having a quick trigger and saying, nope, we don't have our quarterback, right? The Cardinals did it, and they ended up getting Kyler, right? And I didn't think that was a great move at the time because I like Josh Rosen. But they believed in Kyler and saw what they had, and they didn't, you know, it was the next year. They were like, nope. We're, you know, we're going to say we didn't get it. We're going to keep going until we get it. Because in the NFL, you have to keep going until you get a quarterback. It's the same thing. The Chargers just figured it out, and right? See, Giants fans, Giants fans are going to be real upset with you. I know. Uh, but here's the thing. As soon as they're in position to get Trevor Lawrence, they're going to be like, well, we have to get Trevor. Like, you know, they're, they, the fans are always going to back their guy. Yep, but I, I think as this season goes on, even Giants fans are going to realize like that this is not, this is not winning football. This is not sustainable. We cannot have a quarterback that's literally on pace to turn the ball more over more than freaking Jameis Winston. Like, you can't win like this. And if they get in position to draft Trevor Lawrence, maybe Justin Fields, yeah, you got to do that. Because guess what? If the Giants are that bad, David Gettleman's going to be fired anyway. You know, so like they're going to bring a new general manager anyway. And there's no way a general manager who's in position to draft Lawrence or Fields or maybe even Trey Lance is going to choose Daniel Jones and stake his career on that. Like, no way. Like, I I would be surprised unless the Giants somehow turn this season around, which they probably won't. I would be surprised if Daniel Jones is the starting quarterback next year for the Giants, because even if he does have a lot of potential, there's no way the next general manager is going to gamble on that potential being fulfilled when he has a shot at potentially two better prospects in the draft. Like it's, it, this is not winning football and this has not been winning football now for a full year and a half. When you see all these other young quarterbacks that are, you know, hitting their stride within three or four starts. And, and we're still not seeing that with Daniel Jones. You were just about to mention Justin Herbert He's his pressure rate is just as good, if not worse, than Jones. But he's one of the best quarterbacks under pressure in the league right now. So I don't want to hear an excuse about having a bad offensive line. The Chargers' offensive line is terrible, and Justin Herbert's making it work. Daniel Jones is not. You know, some guys just don't have it. And 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 I guarantee you that for as many Giants fans, they're going to be upset at us for hearing that when they have a shot to draft Trevor Lawrence next season, they're going to be on the Trevor Lawrence train because they know deep down inside this is not working. Yeah, and it just means that your team has to be perfect, right? If Daniel Jones is going to continue to play like that, he's going to have the occasional hot game. He definitely has some beautiful highlights, right? When Daniel Jones gets a clean pocket, he can make some beautiful throws. That's the case. But again, everything has to be perfect. If he's getting pressure, he doesn't see it. Uh, Yes, he can scramble for the occasional nice first down. But in general, everything has to be perfect for the Giants to have a chance to win. And that's not winning football in the NFL because it rarely goes that way. So yeah, a little salve for the Giants fans uh, after we sort of talk nasty about Daniel Jones is that Darius Slayton is showing up big for the Giants yep. this season. He had a good year last year. Uh, we didn't mention his name on the preview episode we did this summer. We took a bunch of heat about that. How could you not mention Darius Slate? And look, uh, that's what the point after is for. So this is mea culpa and make up for the summer. You were absolutely right then. And if we weren't saying anything about him now, you'd be absolutely right in in raking us over the coals for that too. Because Darius Slayton, uh, like his defensive teammate, Kyler Fackrell, right, is making big plays for the Giants 
defense uh, and showing up on a regular basis. The Giants are, as we just said, kind of suffering through a bit of a lost season, but Slayton has not quit. On the contrary, he's out there making flash plays. If you're paying attention, Darius Slayton's putting in work, and it's it's showing up. Yeah, he's, and that's the thing is there's there's pieces here for the Giants. You know, you've got Slayton, you've got hopefully Barkley will come back healthy. You know, you and I are both big fans of Sterling Shepard. Like this is not a completely talent devoid offense. You know, uh, obviously Andrew Thomas has been disappointing as a left tackle so far, but we've seen some young tackles struggle their rookie years and then turn it around. Um, He's not disappointing as a tight end, though. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and that, you see, here's what's funny is there was video of him practicing at receiver. I know. And the Cowboys somehow still didn't see this coming. Like, it was literally, like, trending on Twitter, Andrew Thomas catching passes at practice. Like, oh, that didn't set off any alarm bells? Really, guys? <laughs> God, Cowboys defense is so bad. No, but they've so got a couple bad. tackles. They've got a couple receivers, right? they got a running back, hopefully, again. Uh, Saquon comes back, you know, strong. They need a quarterback, but they're going to be in position to get one. Um, and take a shot on a guy that they like. The defense has some players. Do they need more players? They do. But again, like you said, this the cupboard is not empty. It just mm-hmm. needs to be reorganized, and you got to get a quarterback. Like if you don't have a quarterback, you've got to do whatever you can until you get one. And that means not stopping with, oh, I got this, you know, veteran holdover that's going to win me six or eight games. I, I guess that's good enough. No, you keep going until you get the guy that cracks through and is going to be your starting quarterback for a while. The guy you, you know, will lay down and die to give a second contract to because he is going nowhere. That guy, you need that guy. And Daniel Jones is not that guy for the Giants. No, not at all. Uh, now transitioning to a slightly happier topic, we do have a new segment on bootleg called the bootleg shot of the week, uh, because of course we need to have more alcohol in this show, uh, to get through it. And <laughs> it goes in the without shot saying of... in 2020, right? It's it goes just without find saying. another way to, to squeak in an extra shot of alcohol. Uh, and in the shot of the week, as we kind of go through these game recaps one by one, we'll nominate a big and clean hit as we talk through each one of these games and nominate it for the shot of the week. And then we're going to have you guys vote on it, the best hit or the best shot. And then we will uh, celebrate the winner of the following episode with a little shot of, uh, what do you want to do, like Cazadores? Uh, we can do whatever. I think we can pick our own shots, but a, a little shot to get the to get the podcast started seemed like yeah. a good idea. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, there's been a lot of downplaying of hitting in the NFL and you know, we're going to keep it clean. We're certainly not going to try and nominate anything where somebody gets hurt. That's part of the game. It's really unfortunate. We're looking at the, you know, the guys that are trying to do it the right way. They're not out there head hunting. They're not out there twisting people's legs. We're not talking about those hits. We're talking about lined a guy up, dropped your head, hit him with your shoulder in the midsection and just drilled him and those shots are still out there guys are landed out for their teams uh so we're going to nominate them we'll see how it goes like anything we'll try it out if you guys like it we'll keep doing it if you don't eh, 
we might keep doing it because we like the shots, but uh, we're going to give <laughs> that's it a really shot. the the motivation here is we just yeah exactly. <laughs> so we'll we'll highlight these hits as we go through the games and and say if there was a, a hit in there and which one it was and and uh, look videos everywhere these days it's pretty easy to to look it up and see what we're talking about. Um, Brett might even be able to tag some of that as we post the podcast or or give links or tell people where to find those. Um, but if you can't, you can just Google it these days. You'll find it. It's on Twitter. Um, and, you know, it'll be fun. Uh, it's something else to do in the 2020 season. And it, uh, you know, gives a little love and limelight to the defenders, right? And and who knows? We might have an offensive tackle on a on an interception return get nominated. I wouldn't doubt that. But generally, it uh, it gives some love to the defenders who are out there working hard and, and taking their shots. Yeah, so I'll put that poll on my Twitter, and then I'll, I'll link that in the comments on the uh, on the YouTube channel for you guys to find that and vote on it. But with that being said, let's get into these games. Um, first one we really want to highlight is the Giants-Cowboys game, and we, we got to talk first about Dak Prescott. Just a, an absolutely soul-crushing injury, not just for Cowboys fans, but for really any fan of football. You know, he's, he's one of the best people I would say in the league and I think uh it's important to kind of separate criticism of a player which you know everybody's been critical of Dak before for one reason or another I myself have been critical of him for you know certain games or decisions or whatever myself but I will never ever criticize Dak Prescott as a person as a leader as a man as a human being because he is truly one of the great people in football and it just breaks my heart that you know he he bet on himself to get a big contract and then you know we I don't even know where where his contract situation stands now I hope that kind of Jerry does right by him and and gives him gives him a deal that you know will will give him some financial security because who knows who knows what his future is going to be you know we we think he can come back healthy but you know I don't I don't really know what the prognosis is they're saying like maybe six months but that, that puts you right in line with the draft and, you know, free agency, who knows, who knows at this point. So it just, it, it breaks my heart, you know, to see him, you know, laying it all out there for his team and then just having absolutely rotten luck. And not to mention everything that's happened in his personal life this year, you know, all the awareness that he's been doing for, you know, mental health and everything. Like he's just, he's such a good human being. And I, I just, I, it makes me sick. Yeah, I think, it was pretty easy to tell um, just as a reflection of character, how many people from around the league, how many of his contemporaries, his colleagues, his competitors came out and said exactly the same thing. Heart goes out to Dak, you know, such a bad, bad situation for Dak. You saw Jason Garrett, his coach uh, now with the giants, you know, on the field, come running over immediately. Like there was no hesitation this is this is not a guy, a human being that people are divided on. People can be divided on the player. People can be divided on the contract. Um, but in terms of who he is as a person and the respect that he commands around the league, it's really obvious on the field, all of his teammates, uh, all over the Twitter sphere, right? Immediately, just overwhelming and positive support. Um, it's a it's a tough tough situation i've it's gonna be uh you know it's gonna be a lot of work to get it repaired it's gonna be a lot of work to get it rehabbed 
he, he's got a long road ahead of him and, and uncertainty, as you said, is the biggest word being introduced into the process, right? He, he didn't have a contract. Uh, we hope that things go well for him. But the other thing that's just a bummer, as you said, sort of for all football fans is Dak was playing at an extremely high level. The, the yes. defense in Dallas was playing at an extremely low level. But if you look at what Dak has put up specifically over the last three weeks, he was on tear. He was yeah. on a hot streak that is is impossible to ignore. We brought it up that he was in a groove a couple of weeks ago, that he is playing some of the best football of his career. And you just love to see guys doing that, right? Guys maximizing their talent at the top of their game, just just super high output and he was there he was in a groove you can use whatever phrase you want to describe it he was firing on all cylinders and to have this happen on top of the contract situation and the person he is and everything else it's just ugh, it's just yuck you know i i made a video just before the season about his contract and you know the what's the value of a good quarterback what's the value of a great quarterback you know what's the line of demarcation for where in terms of like making the playoff and winning super bowls like where's the line for where it's worth it to pay a guy you know in top 10 money and i, I was posing the question at the end like up until that up until this season i felt like he was a good quarterback but i i didn't feel like he was in, you know, past that line of demarcation where you could pay him literally anything and he would drag your team to the playoffs. You know, guys like Russell, guys like Mahomes, you know, the Andrew Lux, where it's like they're worth whatever you want to write on the check. This season, he became that guy. This was, in my opinion, his coming out party. Even though he had put up numbers before, this was his coming out party as a quarterback of like, no, I am the only reason this team even has a chance. And all of their losses were not his fault. In fact, the team put him in a hole and he dug them out of it. And I think he had taken such a huge step forward into shutting my ass up and and becoming the quarterback that that is deserving of that kind of money um, and that can absolutely carry a roster regardless of who's on it to consistent playoff berths. And, and that's part of the reason why it hurts is that is that he was there. You know, he earned it. He he was he was finally at that level where I think there was no doubt that even for people like me, there was no doubt that he deserved that money. And then to see it kind of rip from him, it just sucks. Like it, I, yeah. I I couldn't even pay attention to the games the rest of the day, like, like at least until like halfway through the Seahawks game. Like I I I was numb just because I I saw I saw his life change right there, and it, it just broke my heart. Yeah, it's incredibly rugged because you're right. He had ascended, right? There were always those people that said, oh, this number or that number, or he's better here than other quarterbacks or or whatever else. This year, they just all the questions that would get thrown up in, in response to those arguments, much like yours, uh, you know, they were legitimate. It was a legitimate argument before, and you could pick and choose what you thought was important this year. It didn't really matter what you thought was important. He was doing it all and looking yeah. really good doing it. It wasn't friendly bounces. It wasn't anything else. This was a guy in control with a ton of weapons, using them sort of equally and universally and just tossing up points practically at will. Like like you said, this was a different DAC. And 
you know, as a football fan, look, I'm not a Cowboys fan. I like Dak. I liked him coming out. He's ascended to a position that I think was was higher than even I had as sort of his ceiling. He's he's broken through that ceiling, uh, certainly this year. And it's just as a football fan, it sucks, right? Because that's what you want to see as a football fan. That's what we all want to see is people getting the most out of their talent and just putting on a tremendous show. And Dak was doing that, and now we don't get to see it anymore. Um, and obviously, the personal implications for him are first, and they're terrible. And, you know, way, way, way down the list is us as fans getting robbed of a guy, you know, operating at the highest level uh, that we don't get to see anymore. And there have been so many of those guys this year. And and Dak just hurts especially much uh, because of everything else on top of that. So moving on with the rest of the game, C.D. Lamb, we got to talk about him. He's coming on. He's at about Ooh. three weeks in a row. Some massive catches this week. Obviously talented wide receiver coming out in what was the best wide receiver draft in oh, easily 20 years, possibly ever, uh, yeah, when seriously. it's all said and done. And he was a top three guy in that class, no matter how you sliced it. There were people that had other folks as wide receiver one, but I don't think I saw anybody that had C.D. Lamb lower than third. Uh, and they shouldn't have because he was incredibly talented. And here he is in a loaded wide receiver room you got cooper and gallup who both probably could be an alpha on at least about two-thirds of the teams in the nfl they're all in the same room and here comes the rookie and he's playing at or above their level which is hard to imagine but we were talking about this before the show how they've all sort of raised their level sometimes guys will back down from that challenge or shy away or get jealous of other people's touches or whatever else it doesn't seem like that at all in dallas especially with dak pulling the trigger all these guys were rising cooper's playing as well or better um as i've seen him in recent seasons and he's played pretty well in recent seasons he's played really well and he was he was elevating too gallup took over the last couple minutes of the game now CD Lamb is is surging uh, and really showing again all the all the talent he had uh, in college. It's just a great room, but you cannot deny that CD Lamb is like rising. He, he's hitting that point where you know the rookie takes the the training pants off and and stands up and says, "No, I'm a big part of this offense, and I'm going to be a reason we win, um, not just contribute." And he's doing it. You know what it reminds me of. The 2000 Miami Hurricanes, where their top two receivers were Reggie Wayne and Santana Moss. And they were, and you know, there's been a couple 30 for 30s on these Canes teams. And, you know, Reggie will tell you, they were scared to death of getting hurt because there was this young freshman that came in that year named Andre Johnson that mm -hmm. was going to take all of their jobs if they missed a single snap. <laughs> and C.D. Lamb strikes the same kind of thing. You know, Amari's great, Gallup's great, C.D. comes in, and he's fifth in the league in receiving yards as a rookie, as a number three, well, maybe former number three on this team. Like, if anybody gets hurt, they're losing their job because he, this yeah. kid is just ridiculous. And that's where the, the scary thing about that is, that's with a pretty quiet first two weeks like he had some catches yeah. but really in the last three games like he's come on and so it's largely in the last three games that he's vaulted up to fifth as a rookie and look there are we talk about talented wide receivers on this show every week 
there are you can't throw a stick in this league and not hit a bunch of talented wide receivers to be fifth as a rookie after a i don't want to say a slow start but a cool start that's nuts yeah he's just he's he's beyond special and it it kind of is uh it's another uh, i don't want to say an indictment on the eagles but you see all these rookie receivers having a lot of success uh, and and we we know that the Eagles had an opportunity at least to trade up to potentially secure CD Lamb and just couldn't get the deal done. They ended up taking Jalen Rager, who's unfortunately you know been dealing with injuries so far. But you're seeing Claypool go off. You're seeing Gabe Davis go off. You're obviously seeing CD go off, and um, you know Rugs went off. Like all these rookie receivers are absolutely lighting the league on fire. Justin Jefferson. And then the one that the Eagles took is like the only highly drafted rookie receiver that's that's just not not getting any production. It's got to be. If I was an Eagles fan, I'd just be pulling my hair out at this point, especially seeing the one that they wanted more than anybody, CD, lighting it up for you know their arch rival. Ooh, that's rough. yeah. That that part hurts an extra lot, right? <laughs> when he goes to your division rival and and you've got to watch him produce against you, and it happens every year. I mean, teams draft boards move around, but yeah, that's that's not great. Another takeaway from this Giants Cowboys game: having an experienced backup matters, and mm-hmm. not all teams do. And you know, the Cowboys were able to come in. Again, the Giants are struggling, but on any given Sunday, any team can beat any other team in the NFL. We see it every year. We see it every week, quite frankly. And having an experienced backup quarterback is the difference between probably a couple of wins a game in this league. Uh, hopefully your starter doesn't go down for you know a long stretch where you've got to count on that backup for six or eight weeks. It happens. And yeah, some guys rise to the occasion and, and pick up a nice contract to go be a starter elsewhere, but... Boy, you know, to be able to get a guy like Andy Dalton that's got a billion snaps under his belt and and get him for very little money late in the process to come in. And again, ideally, he doesn't touch the ball all year. Like Dak goes on to a, you know, MVP type consideration and, and he never touches the ball. But boy, when you need him, you need him. And they needed him on Sunday. And having an experienced guy back there, nobody more experienced really than Dalton as a backup quarterback, that is a big deal in this league. Yeah, and we like to talk up you know, the, the two big catches that Gallup made in the end to kind of set up the game winner. But the balls that he was catching weren't half bad either. You know, They were very well placed. Andy came in, called off the bench, threw some dimes got this team in scoring position like it wasn't just the receivers doing all the work like they got to patch they got to catch you know good passes uh and i think it just goes to show you know to your point that that having a veteran that can come in and not completely soil himself under pressure you know in a division game again cold off the bench like that's it's an incredibly valuable asset they were extremely lucky that they were able to sign him for dirt cheap i think he's only getting like a million a million this year something like that uh, it's at least below two million. I know that. Um, so again, just in- incredible value to have um, potentially a season-saving backup quarterback because Andy Dalton, I think, is at least at least he's average in my opinion. Like, I understand why they took Burrow because you 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 never want to strive for averageness at the quarterback position, but you know if your franchise quarterback goes down with an injury, you definitely don't want to have a below-average quarterback backing him up. So. Again, uh, very savvy signing that 
at the time, it, it was a great value just because of how cheap he was. And now it's definitely a great value just because they're actually having to get some good play out of him. So, uh, you know, credit to the, the Cowboys front office for pulling that one off. Um, and I do want to say uh, Tony Pollard, for as few touches as he gets, even though the Cowboys backfield is just getting fewer touches overall this season, but for as few touches as Pollard gets, he's another guy where, again, if the starter goes down for Dallas, God forbid Zeke gets hurt too. They've had enough injuries as it is. But if Zeke gets hurt too, I think they'd be totally fine with Tony Pollard uh, as their starting running back because he's really damn good. They'd, They'd skip a lot less beats than people think they would. I'm not saying Zeke is bad. Farthest thing from it. Zeke's a very talented runner. Tony Pollard is so good. He's so patient and powerful. You see real skill and savvy in his touches. Again, there aren't that many of them, but he makes quality yards on the touches he gets. And being Zeke's understudy means he doesn't get a lot of attention that he probably deserves. But if for some, again, terrible reason, he ends up in the spotlight, Dallas is going to be in good hands in the running game. Tony Pollard is ridiculous ridiculously talented so we just wanted to throw that note in there uh, moving on to the eagles steelers well hello chase claypool <laughs> have a day so chase claypool if you are a bootleg listener longtime bootleg listener uh if that's the case considering we've only been going for about three quarters of a year uh we talked him up seriously at the senior bowl i saw this guy at weigh-ins and i thought holy crap he's a lot bigger than i thought he was and i spawned this theory that he should be the next dominant move tight end in the league because he was easily big enough to overwhelm nickel corners and, and even small linebackers and we hadn't really seen him run we had tape on him but uh you know we knew that he was physically gifted and he would be a matchup nightmare as a move tight end so i started pushing this theory he went out and practice blew up all the defensive backs regularly and started to generate a legitimate like mobile buzz right the senior bowl like hey this guy might be the guy that we're not talking about in this wide receiver class that could really make some noise well he slims down a little bit he goes to the combine he absolutely destroys it he puts up megatron like numbers completely sealed his fate as a wide receiver because wide receivers get paid more than tight ends so he will absolutely take the wide receiver designation Steelers happily pick him up keep him outside start running him on deep routes he's had a couple of really splash plays over the last couple of weeks and then this week just explodes goes off for four TDs three receiving one rushing and there's nothing but more good stuff on the way for him he is dominant and I, I I distinctly remember, you know, when you and I were eating ribs after like the second day of practice at the Senior Bowl, and we were just sitting there and we were trying to remember if anybody had a pass breakup against Claypool in the first two days. And I don't think anybody did. Like he was just absolutely murdering dudes with size, with physicality, like He's a good route runner, but part of the reason that makes him such a good route runner is that he understands that he is so much more powerful than every DB on the field. Uh, and he could just toss them all over the place, and, and he really uses that size and physicality to his advantage, and obviously the speed on top of it. Uh, he's, he's a unique mismatch nightmare 
uh, as a big slot receiver. You could put him on the boundary, obviously. Like, I wouldn't even be surprised if at some point they get him involved in the run game, you know, on sweeps and stuff like that. Like, he's a unique specimen at the receiver position. And I don't know what the hell Philly was doing trying to get him matched up with Nate Gary in a match zone coverage where he's supposed to carry him down the middle. But guess what? That ain't going to work. Not even close. (laughs) You would think... You think after four quarters of that, they would they would figure out, you know, Rodney McLeod would figure out like, hey, uh, I should probably help out Nate Gary and not take the number two here when I also have a boundary corner that's sinking underneath the deep out. Like, I should probably help my linebacker. Uh, no, no, they just let him go and he scored his fourth touchdown that ended up winning the game. So, uh, again, unique mismatch nightmare is Chase Claypool. And in this offense, you know, Big Ben... You know, we kind of look at him now as as like a, a grizzled old point guard where, you know, he's not going to be the same playmaker he used to be in terms of breaking tackles and, you know, kind of running around and making plays off schedule uh, with his arm and his legs like he used to. But he can sit in the pocket and just distribute, distribute, distribute every single week that, you know, there's going to be a new guy, whether it's Deontay, whether it's Juju, whether it's, you know, Claypool this week. Uh, you know, getting the tight ends and the running backs involved. Like, he's he's at that stage now where he's just going to sit there and throw darts. And when you look at this Steelers' skill position lineup, other than maybe dominant uh, uh, having a dominant player at running back, like, they're they're pretty loaded at pass catchers, and they're pretty loaded at offensive line. Like, I, I think this, this whole approach can absolutely work. Yeah, it's perfect for him. Mina Kimes brought this point up on Twitter that Big Ben is is that guy. He's not going to take, you know, she was comparing him to a basketball player and said he's not going to take the three, right? He's just going to distribute and dish and take the open shot when he gets it. And it's really perfect for where he's at because if you, as a coaching staff or a team, are leaning on Big Ben and saying, hey, be that guy you were in, in year five and year six in the league and come in and, you know, throw bombs and, and again, shuff off rushers like you have for the last decade plus – that's not going to work anymore. You have to adapt. And, you know, Ben, to his credit, seems happy with it. And who wouldn't be? You know, they're throwing up a ton of points. They've surrounded him with a ton of talent. He certainly can't argue as a late-stage quarterback that, you know, the team's not supporting him. Like, again, the Steelers lineup that you pointed out, Connor's solid at running back. He ended up scoring and and jawing. James Connor might be nominated for trash talker <laughs> of the week. He was he was going after the Eagles, but you know, Ben's got a lot of targets everywhere he turns on that field. He's got speed and skill. And again, he's not getting thrashed like, you know, his division rival Joe Burrow. He's not getting hit on pretty much every single drop back. So it's a good place for him to be in, and I'd be smiling too if I was him. Yeah, and and my final point for this game is the Eagles got a big problem in their secondary. Uh, I I'm not really sure why Kayvon Wallace isn't playing yet, but uh, like, other than Rodney McLeod, and even McLeod, like I said, he's been making some mental mistakes here and there. Like they're not getting good enough safety play, and probably outside of. Um, Darius Slay like they haven't really got any good corner play either you know it's it's been Darius Slay and then on occasion Rodney McLeod and then nobody else is doing anything you know it's yeah Cravon LeBlanc a little bit in the slot and he's been more of a a sort of rover and and Johnny on the spot picking up fumbles and and forcing big hits but look in the modern NFL that's not enough right you can't have 
one and a half or, or two guys in the secondary. You need, honestly, you need three good corners and at least one good safety, like one really good safety. And then there's probably a guy you're not paying as much that's more of the glue guy or the hitter or maybe you stuff him near the line in a box safety. Depends on your defensive alignment. The Eagles have a dearth of talent in the secondary right now besides Slay, and they're going to see nothing but four verts for the rest of the season, right? Teams are just going to put pressure on those safeties. They're going to be like, yeah, go ahead, try and shut us down. We're going to put you in dis- in places, in situations where you have to decide because we don't think you're deciding very well right now. And it's it's just like a rookie offensive tackle getting blitz after blitz where he's got to make a pick or pick up a stunt because they've seen he can't do it. And until you can prove it, that you can do it, that you can stop it, that you can keep the easy yards from happening in the NFL – teams are just going to do it to you over and over and over again. So I think the Eagles, it hasn't been pretty so far. Buckle up, Eagles fans. It might get rougher as the season goes on because people are absolutely going to try and turn the knife. And by the way, their linebacker, Nathan Gary, is still somehow starting despite already giving up 267 yards and four touchdowns. He has zero pass breakups despite getting targeted over 20 times in five days like it's not not it's not just the safeties it's the linebackers too it reminds me of that uh, that gif not great bob not great bob it's yeah it's rough like they they don't have a uh, all their all their true playmakers are in the defensive line that's about it and it's everybody else is just not pulling their weight it's 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 bad but anywho uh maybe it will get better eventually he said uh (laughs) <laughs> facetiously <laughs> hopefully hopefully is i mean they're in a bad they're in a bad division so it's not like they're out of it yeah but. it's certainly better if they were than if they were like in the nfc west or something where they just were facing high octane offenses every week that would that would be much much worse than than where they sit divisionally but uh Moving out west, or at least partially, the Chargers Saints. Um, Got to talk about this game. Sorry, Tyrod. I, I like Tyrod Taylor. I am a Tyrod Taylor lover, defender, whatever you want to call it. Stan, like I, I think Tyrod's a good quarterback. You're not getting your old job back. I realize nope. that the circumstance that you lost the job under was crappy. Um. There is no way short of an injury to Justin Herbert you're going to see the field again because Justin Herbert is way better, way quicker than almost anyone anticipated. He he was, you know, a guy with a lot of talent, but uh, you posted something on Twitter this week about your assessment of Herbert. Uh, you did a film room on him during the draft cycle saying, hey, you know, my mistake mm-hmm. might have been uh, you know, giving a little bit more credit to the scheme and a little bit less credit to the player. That Oregon sort of horizontal scheme sort of masked his his true ability that we're seeing now, which are these gorgeous deep balls in a vertical offense, because he is throwing an amazing deep ball, just a beautiful deep ball. I'd say he's already one of the top three to five deep ball throwers in the league. And the thing that stands out to me the most about his deep ball is that guys don't have to stop. He is not mm-hmm. bringing his receivers back to have you know to bring the defensive back into play the defensive back has nothing to do with it on these herbert throws right 
it's four yards over their head and a yard or two out in front of the receiver. They just lay their hands out and keep running. They're like he's taking the defensive backs completely out of the equation. And so few quarterbacks actually do that. I'd say that, you know, Russ throws a great deep ball. We see Aaron Rodgers throw a really good deep ball. Obviously, Mahomes throws a good deep ball. Um, and then guys like Ryan Tannehill are out there that, you know, throw a very pretty deep ball, but you know, it doesn't do it as often in the Titans offense. So he's right up there with being able to just air it out. Uh, I said last week that, you know, somewhere that Eric Coriel is just, you know, spinning in happiness watching the Chargers light it up like they're an old AFL team again. Um, and Herbert is just powering that that charge right now, and he's he's not giving up that spot anytime soon, nor should he. No, he's looked he's looked fantastic, um, and it's it's a shock to the system for me because it, he doesn't look like he did in college. Like I will always, you know, call a spade a spade. I'll, I'll say what I think. Justin Herbert looks great now. He didn't look great last year. And I think we need to credit him for obviously putting in the work to get better. We also need to credit Pep Hamilton for playing to his strengths and emphasizing a vertical yep. game. Um, but when you look at, at Oregon, like he had a you know, just shy of 67% completions, which is good. But he also threw more screens at a higher rate than literally any NFL quarterback ever, like in the history of the sport, like nobody ever threw as many screens as he did. So again, the completion percentage was a little bit inflated. Um, His on-target accuracy percentage was pretty low. Uh, When they did go deep, most of the time it was off like pump and goes off like fake screens. Everybody was wide open. There wasn't a whole lot of challenge to the vertical game. Like he didn't have to make a whole lot of crazy vertical throws into tight windows like he's doing now. Like, he, he looked like a different quarterback, and then all of a sudden he shows up in the NFL, and he, and he looks like a whole, whole new man. Like, it's, it's wild. Like, I have not seen, like, even Jeff Schwartz, who's, you know, a former Duck and an Oregon diehard, even he said he had, he had never seen this in Herbert, and that his development in such a short amount of time is unprecedented. So I think two things can be true. One, Justin Herbert was an okay prospect, um, and it was really more about traits than production. And I think the other thing that can be true is that he's a great NFL quarterback. I think that those are not mutually exclusive. Uh, and so I, I just want to give a golf clap to him you know, for developing and putting in the work and making me look like an asshole. Uh, but I also want to say, Marcus Arroyo, if you had this guy the whole time, how did you not do this? Like, how did you not emphasize? Yeah, taking there is that shots, piece. You know, it came up again this week that you know, and I will die on this hill. I this is my hill to die on. Landing spots matter, and they don't just matter a little; they matter a lot, and it matters for guys that excel in a hurry, and it matters for guys that never really get off the ground. Uh, until they go somewhere else or they are freed of, oh, I don't know, the curse of Adam Gase, right? <laughs> it's It goes both ways. There are two sides to this coin. So landing spots matter more than a little bit. And it's why we, on our draft live stream, celebrated some picks so highly because we knew that the players' skills and fit with where they were going 
was damn near perfect and they were likely to produce at a high level and really again show out all of that talent and there were other times on both sides of the ball where somebody got picked somewhere and we were like okay like i'm Mm -hmm. not sure that's great so the fun part is we get to see justin herbert operating at the top of his abilities he is playing especially for a guy that has three or four games in so loose and fast he looks comfortable and happy and you know we see that play where he again his line's not great he picked up an early rush on that touchdown where he rolled out to his right avoids the rush just barely like brushes the guy's hand off his chest rolls to the right throws a dime for a touchdown in the end zone right on the receiver right that is a loose fast heady play and he There's made it like look five guys max in the league that can do that by the way like that was yeah, special I, I don't and he made it look easy right when you go yeah. back he doesn't look rushed or flustered or like you know his hair's on fire he kind of says uh-uh to the defensive lineman rolls out and just throws a beautiful ball right we knew he was more mobile than a lot of people gave him credit for he's very tall uh, and lanky, but he runs quite well, even at that size. We saw that on some long scrambles at Oregon. But the combination of traits to make that play in particular come off, you have to have the mindset on top of that that says, I got it, right? And to have that three or four games into your NFL career, like, uh, folks, the Chargers have their quarterback. Like, don't need to see any more receipts. The Chargers have their quarterback for the next good long while. And you know kudos to them that is a great thing as a franchise without that as a fan of a franchise without that for the last i don't know half century um kudos to them great choice and they're they're in a good place uh teams nfl teams with solid options at quarterback are in a good place and again as we talked about at the top of the podcast if you don't have one you got to do whatever you can and keep grinding until you get one because you're not going to get over the hump without one, and the Chargers have one. How miserable are Broncos fans right now? They got to deal with Mahomes two times a year. Potentially, you know, if Herbert is on the same trajectory, they're going to have to deal with his monstrous talent twice a year. You know, the Raiders are a well-oiled machine at this point. Like, God, if I was a Broncos fan, I'd just be depressed because the whole division is just a slaughterhouse. Yeah, and, you know, they. I don't want to say that they don't have theirs. We saw some really good things from Drew Locke and we were hoping that he would, you know, be in there and operating this high octane offense in Denver. And again, we get shorted that because of the injury. We hope he comes back strong as well. And, you know, Cortland Sutton goes down with an injury and and you just, you sort of, as a Broncos fan, that's a, that's a tough year to endure, but it's even tougher. Like you said, when the rest of your division is just surging, right? Obviously the chiefs are the chiefs, uh, you know, a game we're going to talk about very soon uh, with Las Vegas, right? Las Vegas is hitting their stride under Gruden and, and again, has assembled a good group of playmakers too. And now, you know, Herbert kind of, I don't want to say comes out of nowhere, but I don't think anybody expected him to start this soon. It was very much Tyrod's team. And then we all knew that Herbert would get his shot eventually. He got it right away and he is ready for prime time right now. So yeah, it makes it tough. Uh, one more note I want to give on this game is that Joey Bosa is just insane. You know, he, he had three different injuries, if I remember correctly. 
uh, one of them being a knee, and I think it was like a rib or a hip or you know something in his in his core. Uh, but he had three injury designations coming into this game. They weren't sure if he was going to play. Uh, ended up only playing 28 snaps. They were kind of on a pinch count with him, so he, he played mostly just in kind of pass rush situations. So out of his 28 snaps, he had 24 pass rushes. In only 24 pass rushes, he still had five pressures and a sack, uh, all, all on Ryan Ramchek, who's a top two, top three tight end, or uh, not tight end, uh, right tackle at worst in the entire league. Like, he's an elite of the elite tackles. Like, his, his pressure uh, per snap rate was, I, th- I think, uh, second in the NFL last year. So he's, he's about as good as it gets at OT in this league. And Joey played him for half the game and still had a full game's worth of production. Like, and that's on a bad knee. He's just a monster. He's absolutely a monster. Um, he's another guy who I think I probably underestimated. Uh, ironically, also on the Chargers roster, and they've given me a lot of shit over the years for that. But uh, again, he shut me up. He proved me wrong. Like he's—he's he's not at the time. I said Joey's a good player. I wasn't sure if he was ever going to be like a Khalil Mack or a JJ Watt type player. I, I said, okay, maybe let's hold our horses a little bit before we put him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, no, I think he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I think he's pretty yeah. damn good. <laughs> I mean, on that Chargers roster, right? They, one thing they don't usually struggle with is pass rushers, at least not recently, with Bosa on one side, yeah. Melvin Ingram on the other. It's one of the best duos in the league. Uh, their interior linemen are not shabby either, and he has put up numbers, right? People say, oh, his younger brother's better. Well, that may be true, but that doesn't mean he's bad. When you look at that as an efficiency rate on a rush, it's that's nuts. It's astronomical. Yeah, it's it like does not compute is the first thing you're going to see on the calculator when you try and figure that out. So no, Bose was great. Um, yeah, it was a it was a great game, but it was boy, it was Chargers business as usual, right? Um, <laughs> had the Saints on the ropes, let them hang around, made some questionable decisions as usual. Got beat in heartbreaking fashion in OT, as, as usual. usual. Like the Chargers, <laughs> I think it was Ted Wen, um, our buddy Ted Wen from the Athletic, who posted the Chargers are like the anti Seahawks. They do the same thing. They have this sort of cardiac finish, and then they don't deliver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, it was he, like he couldn't a, be more right. Seahawks, Seahawks have won. Hold on, let me see if I can find the stat. Because it, it, like Chargers are like three and thirteen in their last one score games, and the Seahawks are like twelve and three. Like it's like it's yeah, the polar no, it, opposite. It literally is. It's like the Bizarro Seahawks. They're just the opposite. Um, speaking of Bizarro Seahawks stats, the Seahawks won that game without converting a third down. What is that? That that's I, Russell I, Wilson, I baby. Even, <laughs> I know, but I can't even wrap my head around that. Like as an NFL stat, like. I have so many questions like when's the last time a team ever did that? Has a team ever done that? Um, Does it happen often? Like it seems like it happens never to me, but uh, that one just blows my mind. It's it's not a Seahawks game without something that's never happened before happening. That's true. (laughs) Did you see the the gift or the little meme floating around that says uh, being a Seahawks fan isn't stressful at all? And it says like Clark, 22 years old. And it's a picture of a guy that's like obviously 80. (laughs) <laughs> and it, it's oh. just so true like uh you know that i live in the pacific northwest and the talk every monday is like i think my heart rates come back down from yesterday but i'm not sure um <laughs> that's pretty typical monday water cooler talk in the northwest so uh 
yeah, time to move on to the Blitz. Many of you in the comments last week noted that our Blitz was like 45 minutes long, so we're either the slowest two white guys you know, or maybe we should change the name. So uh, Roundup is a little generic. Uh, we're going to keep it with Blitz for now, but yeah, we are we are not speedy. We're just speedier than we are when we're talking about full games, so it's all relative, folks. Um Got to lead off the blitz with Le'Veon Bell getting released uh, earlier today and being really happy about it, which I cannot blame him for uh, getting again. Yeah, out, wouldn't you be uh, getting out from under the auspices of one Adam Gase would would be cause for celebration for me. But it got me thinking, uh, where does Le'Veon go? Right. There's instant speculation, as there always is. But we've talked about so many running backs, so many running back duos and even trios that are so solid around the league uh, teams that go three deep uh, with their runners that the landing spots are a little bit limited. So I came up with four, uh, the giants being first as a sort of short-term replacement for Saquon. Cause he's obviously not coming back this year and you would give him a little bit of pop, but you brought up the very good point that Le'Veon is probably done with dumpster fires. He's made his money and he'd like to go to a well-run organization. And that, um, kind of rules out the Giants right now they're not in that spot they're certainly not going to contend um, a team we talked about earlier again on the east coast the Dolphins because we talked about Miles Gaskin being good at the top uh, but Le'Veon brings a different element and would bring a second option for them uh, and they do have some money so they could fit him in do they need him no would he be a nice ad for down the stretch uh, he would uh staying in the afc east the pats and you might say eh, why ej why the pats seems like bill belichick has a thing for um occasionally taking on uh shall we say projects he's done it before with uh high profile wide receivers who maybe didn't have the best reputation um and he seems to be able to rotate running backs at will now they have a guy that they like who can be their sort of bell cow uh, Sony Michelle got hurt and, you know, Le'Veon could come in and take some of the Sony Michelle snaps if he's willing to be on the Patriots. Um, you know, hope that Cam comes back strong, maybe end up contending at the end for a wild card spot, something like that could be attractive to him. And the other one's a team we just talked about, the Chargers, really depending on Austin Eckler's injury situation and the duration, how long that's going to be, because they've got Joshua Kelly, um, you know, a talented rookie, but Le'Veon would give them, again, some short-term relief from that. So they're all kind of one-year rental situations. None of these are like take over the starting running back mantle and stay there for the quote-unquote rest of your career. But any others that pop into your mind? The one that really does for me is the Raiders. Um, I think their style of running suits him. It's a lot of duo, a lot of power, um, a lot of inside zone, very much a north-south you know, kind of football team. Um, and I know that Booker's done well as their second running back, but I, I feel like, again, given the circumstances, you're probably going to get Le'Veon for dirt cheap. I think he just wants to play for a well-run team this year and then figure out the money next year. Uh, so I think they could probably get him for basically no money. You know, come in, kind of spell Jacobs, spell Booker, keep both of them healthy, particularly Jacobs. You know, you, you really want Jacobs to be, uh, you know, hitting a stride and still going strong in December uh, when the weather's colder yeah. and he can just kind of grind teams into dust. Like, that's really what he does. So you bring in Le'Veon, give him, I don't know, five to ten touches a game. He'll be your your third down back because he's such a prolific receiver. You know, veteran presence in the locker room. From everything I've heard, he's a great teammate. Um, 
you know, is he eccentric sometimes? Yeah. You know, does he give the media some gruff? Yeah. But as a teammate, I've heard he's really good. So I, I don't think Gruden would really um, balk at signing him. And again, just considering what you're going to get for probably very little money, I, I, would you rather have Richard or would you rather have Bell as your number three running back? Personally, I'd probably rather have Bell. Yeah, and he expands their receiving options because Booker Booker had a game this week, um, but he's not anywhere near the receiver that Le'Veon is. Uh, so it would give them one more option, and the, the Raiders have definitely shown more of a propensity to go deep this year and, and not so much out to the screens, but there are those plays where you got to throw it to the check down, and Le'Veon's a dynamic option on the check down, so, so why not? I like that addition. So moving into last Thursday, we didn't get a chance to talk about last Thursday, but it was Bucks bears And this is not a game I was looking forward to because the Bucks were really starting to round into form. The defense has been very good all year, and Tom Brady was figuring out the offense and sort of rounding off all those corners. They were marching into Soldier Field on a short week, and I thought, uh, I, I hope this isn't a long night for the Bears. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. how I was approaching it. It felt like it really could be really quickly that it could get out of hand. Um, the Bears needed to be perfect to win. Uh, they weren't perfect by any stretch, but they still squeaked it out by a point. And it, it was an amazing game. It was it was really interesting to feel happy after that game. I was not expecting to. Um, but I think the play that we're going to nominate as, as the first uh, bootleg shot of the week is Kyle Fuller's hit and fumble resulting fumble changed the game before that the bucks were having some success after that hit almost none uh yeah the the defense was energized by that shot um you could hear it you could see it eddie jackson was mic'd up for this game uh that footage is on game pass if you have game pass i'd i'd absolutely recommend you go check that out because it's entertaining but you can just feel it the defense felt like all right this one's ours now and the defensive line was tremendous. Mack was a force. He had his sort of coming out games in terms of sacks. He's played very well as a disruptor, um, as an edge setter against the run. He's played very, very well, but quietly in terms of sack production. Um, he's been powering other people to sacks. But this was the game where he and Akeem Hicks really frustrated Tom Brady and Terry Bradshaw said it in the lead up to the game. He said, look, if you hit Tommy, you can make him uncomfortable. You can make him look ordinary. And the bears came out and hit Tom Brady in the mouth a bunch. And he was frustrated. He tossed a tablet on the sidelines. He was John with Mac after a particular sack where Mac drew a penalty. Um, you could tell that Tom was off his game a little bit and the bears needed something like that. Cause straight up, they weren't going to compete. Uh, certainly with the with the Bucks offense, if you went offense to offense, so uh, the Bears needed to do that and did that throughout the game. What do you see when you watched? Uh, Khalil Mack welcoming Tristan Wirfs to the NFL in very rude fashion. <laughs> <laughs> you mean chucking a three hundred and forty pound guy? Oh my who Hang God. cleans four eighty with one arm. I sent that to a friend of mine who is a personal trainer. Um, She's she's a crossfitter. Uh, she was she's got her degree in athletic training from UW. So she worked with all the football players when she was there. Very familiar with with weightlifting, with athletic performance, with injury recovery, all that. 
So she's always fascinated. She actually has a former NFLer in her in her box uh, now. Box being what CrossFitters call a gym. We're not going down the dirty road here. And she, I showed her the video of Tristan Wirfs hang cleaning 480 before the draft four times, and she was like, "Oh my god, like what is that? <laughs> that's you just don't see that." And I was like, "You're right. You just don't. He's one of the strongest guys that's ever played at Iowa." And so I sent her the video this week of Khalil Mack, like whipping him to the ground with one arm. And her response was two words, stupid strong. <laughs> and I was like, yep, that's it. It's, you know, Khalil Mack, I will, I will, you know, I will continue to believe that Khalil Mack is a superhero who moonlights as a football player. But um, that was a fascinating little play. 100%. 100%. And as you said, 4 and 1 is 4 and 1 anyway you slice it. They they're not a they're not a pretty team, but they are not. They're a effective. <laughs> they're yeah. effective. Uh my first point in the blitz is with the Raiders and Chiefs game. Uh I th- I think this kind of validates everything that we were talking about in our pre-draft and our post-draft coverage when it came to the Raiders, which is they they know that they cannot hold Patrick Mahomes to less than 30 points. They know it's just not going to happen. So their strategy and their goal is let's load up on skill position. Let's, let's make sure that our trenches are strong and deep, that we can sustain injuries, which they have this year, and still be good, which they have been this year. Um, that, you know, we draft all these rookies like Edwards and Ruggs and just turn every single Raiders Chiefs game into a track meet. If we can get one or two stops, that's it. That's all we need because we can kill clock. We can be efficient. You know, we still have rugs that can give us quick strike ability, which he did. Uh, But really it was in the fourth quarter how they were killing clock and extending drives and just not getting off the field with Jacobs and Waller. Um, You know, uh, Renfro even had like one big catch for, for a huge chunk play for them. Like, but, you know, that's what the Raiders are this year is it's we know our defense is shaky, but that's fine because we can just outscore you. You know, <laughs> like every single week this week or every single you know week this season, it seems like their their game plan has been like, OK, we gave Derek, you know, as many tools as he's ever had in his career. Like this is going to be the Derek Carr year where we show that he can be a true, you know, franchise quarterback that can, you know, pick up this team every single week and and not just get into a shootout, but actually win a shootout. And they're actually built for that now. And they beat arguably the best shootout team in the league in a shootout. Like this was the plan going into the offseason was we are building to outscore Kansas City and only get one or two stops that we really need. And they did it. So, you know, hats off to Gruden, hats off to, uh, you know, the, the front office. It, it's this worked. It absolutely worked, and I, I see what they were doing from the beginning, and I'm so happy that they proved that um, that they can actually go toe to toe with these offensive, you know, powerhouses and actually beat them at their own game. Yeah, it reminded me of an old AFL game for a while, just <laughs> gunning. Right, yeah. the, the way the AFL came to prominence was the NFL had turned it into a, a grinded out league, and and you know, power eyed fullback and three yards in a cloud of dust and, and big hits. And the AFL said, we're going to loosen it up. We're going to run deep routes. We're going to chuck it up. We're going to send three or four people deep in the passing game. We're going to show people what they haven't seen before. And it really feels like 
this was an old AFL game, which was super fun to watch. Um, so next game up, Colts-Browns. Uh, I wanted to make the note that Baker Mayfield is back to playing some confident football. And we've talked about Kevin Stefanski having a good year so far and good on Stefanski and his staff for letting us see Baker Mayfield's gifts again. Look, he's going to make some mistakes. He did in the second half, but it's good to see him playing fast and loose, making those confident throws. We talked about it with Justin Herbert. We're seeing a little bit of that from Baker Mayfield, and it's a lot of fun because Baker Mayfield was a fun, very confident, uh, I think that's well-chronicled player in Mm -hmm. college, and he lost that. He got a little bit timid. He started playing slow mentally because he was thinking too much and not just reacting and Stefanski and his staff have gotten Baker Mayfield to that point again where he is ready to let it go and he's at least going to be a guy that's holding up his end not being the anchor on this Browns offense and again we talked about Big Ben being a point guard in that division Baker Mayfield can be a very fun sort of fast break point guard for the Browns we're seeing a little bit of it again he's got to eliminate those sort of game-changing mistakes he had at the end Uh, but it's really good to see Baker Mayfield fast and loose again yeah before I before I move on to mine I do want to shout out to Jedrick Wills who's having a hell of a start to his career (laughs) I mean every time they run behind Jedrick Wills they're getting yards he's a phenomenal run blocker great pass protector he did give up a sack in this game but it kind of seemed like he expected uh Baker's drop to be shallower than it was and I think he expected the ball to be out so he didn't he didn't really take a like a really quick kick set like I think he was more kind of short setting and expected the ball to be out so he just kind of like let the guy go didn't really I think um it wasn't really like him getting getting beaten. I think it was just kind of a mental error. But uh, overall, like he, you know, Justin Houston was getting nothing on him. He he really wasn't like he had a phenomenal day in pass protection, other than the one mistake, uh, and just a really good, a really good season blocking on the ground. All things considered, I think he's um, he, he will never win rookie of the year, but I think he's been one of the best offensive rookies in the league, uh, just highly consistent, extremely talented. You know, they, they definitely got their left tackle in the future. Um, now my, point- I'm going to give you a shout out on that one because when Jedrick Wills got drafted or actually before Jedrick Wills got drafted, you said he would be a quote unquote perfect fit for Kevin Stefanski because Jedrick Wills' <laughs> biggest strength was Kevin Stefanski's favorite play. You said that before he got drafted. So you're thrilled when he ended up there. You never, we, we never thought he would end up in Cleveland. He did, but uh, there's your clairvoyant call of the week from, from Mr. Brett Coleman. It, it was either him or Mekhi Becton. It didn't really matter which one they got as long as they got one of them because those were my two you know top-rated tackles, and they both perfectly fit you know the outside zone run scheme. Uh, and I think Becton went before? No, Becton went after. That's right. Andrew Thomas went first. Weirdly enough, uh, and then Wills slid down to ten. I remember, um, you know, they were they were ecstatic. They never imagined that that he was going to be there. So much so that they actually told Jedrick Wills and his agent Nicole Lynn, like, "Hey, we know he's not going to be there, but if he is, we're going to pick him. So just know you're not getting out of the top 10. Uh, and then <laughs> lo and behold, he was there at ten, and they're like, "Well, shit. Okay, I guess, I guess, I guess we gotta. I guess they're just gonna give him to us." Uh, and they've yeah. they've loved him ever since the first day he's been in the building. So great pick to, to get Jedrick Wills there. Uh, my next game I want to talk about is Rams and the football team. Still 
sounds weird to say that, but uh, that's their name. So I'm sticking to Better it. Better than what it was. Better than what it was. Uh, Kyle Allen, he did get hurt, um, which I think brought out some mixed feelings where we're very happy that Alex Smith, you know, made it back to playing football. You know, he took his first snaps as a pro since that horrific uh, leg injury a couple of years ago. And it's been one of the best stories in sports. But at the same time, we're like, okay, get back on the bench and don't get hurt again. Please, for the love of God, because we can't stomach you getting hurt again. <laughs> it would just, it would, it, it would, uh, he clearly was a little bit rusty out there. Not going to lie. And every time he got hit, I don't know about you, every time he got hit, I puckered a little bit. Because I'm like, oh God, please don't burst into a fine mist right now on my television. <laughs> uh, I read something that really sort of summed it up perfectly for me is that it's okay to feel both ways about this you can be extremely whatever it is moved happy proud amazed at his process through recovery the fact that he can even walk again the fact that he made an nfl football field is ridiculous you can be thrilled ecstatic whatever you want have any whatever positive emotion you want you can also be extremely worried for his safety and feel a little bit queasy or uneasy about the fact that he is out there getting thrashed by 330 pounders right it is ultimately alex smith's decision nobody's forcing him into this these are not gladiator games right but it is okay to feel both ways about this situation and i'm like you i was like it's amazing i wish i wish i wish that there had been a full stadium of fans you know again not with the covid risk but wouldn't it have been amazing for alex that would have been like the the hair on the back of your arm standing up moment of the year alex smith takes the field again the the washington crowd rises to its feet and just says we appreciate what you've done to get here and like you said Please get back to the bench as quickly as possible and stop getting hit by these people that are trying to kill you because <laughs> it was rough, right? He took a bunch of hits, and we're going to talk about that as well. Like this, These are two of the best defensive lines in the league, and it was tough to see him out there just kind of folding down after down and be like, oh, please, not this time. Oh, please, not this time. Um, <laughs> so I think that's always going to be part of it because I, I'm not sure he's completely back, right? He doesn't. He doesn't walk without a limp, and it seems very odd to be playing football at the highest level without <laughs> walking without a limp. But yeah. again, it's his choice, and and you can feel both ways about this. And I guess that's okay, right? But it's uh, it's a valid feeling for sure, and we both experienced it. Speaking of monster hits, by the way, uh, I'm nominating Montez <laughs> Sweat for for big shot of the week because he. I, I'm not gonna lie. For like a half second, I thought Jared Goff died on the field. He he got obliterated by Montez Sweat when they tried to block him with Tyler Higby. Which can we stop trying to block 270-pound defensive ends with tight ends? Can we just like make that a rule where you just don't do that? Because it never ends well. And Jared Goff got it got lit up by Montez. To be Sweat. fair, to be fair, this is the hit that spawned this segment. Brett accused me of coming up with this segment after Kyle Fuller's hit. And honestly, Fuller's hit is great. It's nominated. It's worthy. Um, but I didn't think of this segment uh, before that. When I was watching the game recap going through Rams-Washington, I saw this hit from Montez Sweat, and it's one of those that it's an old-school sack, right? This is not a new sack rule sack. 
he basically goes airborne in the Christ pose and massacres <laughs> Jared Goff. He crushes him into dust. And it remind me of Lawrence Taylor. This is the kind of hit that Lawrence Taylor used to have coming free around the end and just flattening quarterbacks, putting his arms out and just hitting guys with his chest and just knocking them silly. And Montez Sweat got around the corner quick and brought everything to bear on Jared Goff. And it was legal and awesome and scary all at the same time. So a worthy nomination for bootleg shot of the week. Uh, and he also ran down Cam Akers late in I, the game. I Cam was, was going to mention, like, you saw the 4-4 speed on that rundown of Akers on the 40-yard 40, 40, like run. And, Such and great Akers, hustle. Akers is pretty fast himself, and he's going down the edge. Yeah. And then you see just this giant like Terminator running full speed after <laughs> down the sideline. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Ah, that's a Montez Sweat. Is that like Montez a roided up gazelle just going yeah, in for the kill? and he nails him. So Montez Sweat had a, I don't want to say a coming out game because he's had quite a few games where he's, where he's put up some very nice plays. But the two of those sort of contrasting plays shows you just what kind of alien athletes are playing in the nfl that a guy can be 265 270 and run down a running back who is probably top four running back in this class i'd say that pretty easily insane so yeah again two of the most talented defensive lines in the league assembled on one field and they showed it they both went to town um the rams defense defensive line had their way uh with the washington offensive line and uh vice versa washington defensive line we've talked about as sort of killers and game enders all year and they they didn't they didn't spare the horses going the other way either jared goff took his share of hits as well so if you love d-line play this is the one you need to go back and watch because it was full of it who do you got for uh dolphins 49ers dolphins 49ers i wanted to bring up raheem Mostert, right he just keeps making those big chunk plays and we talked about him being a very solid fit in the shanahan offense and the fact that he was going to do that but what i saw from him this week that just reminded me that he's more than just that is he ran with some power too he busted up some guys on some inside runs and that's not his game he's not derrick henry that's that's not his strength but to see that in addition to the fact that look if you give him an alley on you know, off tackle or outside zone, he, he can be gone. We've seen it almost every week of the year. Um, but the fact that he was running with power too was uh, illuminating. And so Mr. <laughs> Moster gets his call out. Um, Fitzmagic is just a fearless dude. And I'm not just talking about his fashion. Uh, he'll chuck it up. He'll scramble. He'll do what he needs to do to help the Dolphins win. And is he the best option? No, he's not. But is he a really entertaining bridge to Tua? And a guy that his teammates obviously play very hard for and just don't quit on, he is. And he deserves the call out, right? He is he is not the greatest of all time in probably any category except for maybe Ivy League quarterbacks in the NFL, but he might even have some competition there if you go back in history. He's just a ton of fun. So big big ups to Fitzmagic for, for being entertaining and for giving the Dolphins a chance every week. And the crazy thing is, if I told you Miami was going to hang 30 on San Francisco, you would have thought that was a really good game out of the Dolphins' offense. If I told you they'd do it in a half, <laughs> you would have called me nuts. You'd have been like, no way Miami hangs 30 on the Niners in a half. Like, 
I, I wouldn't even wanted to see the return to, on that. To be fair, day. to be fair, I don't think anybody fully expected Brian Allen to be the worst football player to ever grace a field. Because oh my God, he got absolutely uh, obliterated. Yeah, yeah, and they and they went after him too. And and NFL teams are pretty ruthless that way. When somebody's again, I, I, I talked to it earlier in the podcast. When somebody's showing that they can't do something, we were talking about the Philadelphia safeties and not really being able to make a choice on a deep route. Um, it, look, it's a copycat league. Everybody's going to take the easy yards, right? Wins in the NFL are tough to come by, and if you show them that there's an easy button, they're going to press it until it wears out. And yeah, Brian Allen uh, got taken advantage of uh pretty hard really hard very hard 124 hard. yards in the first half that's like nate gary's been awful this year that's half of all the yards nate gary's given up the entire season who's one of the worst yeah. coverage linebackers in the league and that was in a half in a half yeah <laughs> uh not not a good look uh the Miami kicker, Sanders, was incredible. He just kept putting up points. When they didn't get a touchdown, they got a field goal from him. He was money all day long. And this one's going to be fun. It's going to generate a little conversation. But it came to me uh, watching that game and watching the highlights. I thought, hmm, San Francisco, obviously really rough at quarterback right now. They've used all three of the quarterbacks on their roster. Uh, Jimmy G is is looking terrible, I guess, is a, is a fair way to say it. Yeah. Um, Bethard not ever really going to be the long-term option. Certainly didn't show anything this game that would make you think he was. Um, they've had, you know, they've had some success with Nick Mullins, but Matt Ryan, uh, we're going to talk about a game in a second. Matt Ryan might be available, right? They might have a fire sale in Atlanta. They might just say, burn it all down. We fired our coach. We got rid of our GM. You know, all of our assets are up for sale. Uh, Matt Ryan doesn't really have any business being on Atlanta anymore. They're going to go into a full rebuild, uh, with a completely new power structure at the top of their organization. He's 35 years old, I think. And somewhere he's got a contract. Yeah. He's got a contract coming up. That's going to expire here. If not this year, then in the next couple of years, uh, he doesn't have any business being on a rebuilding team. It's not, it's not going to help anybody in that equation. So my thought went to, <laughs> short-term rental for san francisco like i'd like to see him pulling the trigger in that offense i dug into it a little bit deeper and the dead cap is uh atomic it's ridiculous it's like 50 million or something it's it wait it's really dead cap number uh, no i i just don't remember the number but it was extremely okay. high so <laughs> it's like, highly <laughs> prohibitive let's put it that way no 50 million is not an exact number uh so it's probably not going to happen just because of the money, but more theoretically, like Matt Ryan to San Francisco thoughts. I, if they can do it by also packaging like a pick with Jimmy G be like, okay, you guys take Jimmy. He's your quote unquote bridge quarterback while you rebuild. And, <laughs> and he only has like a couple years left on his deal or whatever. And I don't even think it's guaranteed. Um, and so you just kind of throw that in there just to kind of make financial room while you throw a pick uh, at them for for Matt. I could see it, but at the same time, the Falcons would probably ask more than what the 49ers were willing to give, I would got to think. Cause again, for an older quarterback. 
unless they yeah, it's think an older like they, quarterback, you know, but his deal's almost like again, he's got no more than another year worth of control, and the Falcons know where they're going, right? So if they could free themselves of the of the salary ramifications, again, dead cap being a killer for Atlanta, which is probably going to keep him around, which is unfortunate because it's not a great situation for either side at this point. Um, I just thought, man, wouldn't it be fun to see Shanahan with a guy that really knows what he's doing, operating a sort of high volume passing attack, uh, distributing it to all the the different weapons in San Francisco. And it's not like San Francisco is really made on quarterback skills that Ryan doesn't have, right? They don't need a guy that runs a four or five and, you know, can, can make three first downs with his legs every game. Jimmy can't do that. So, uh, it would be really interesting to see a sort of high level distributor of the football with all those weapons so those different and sort of varied weapons in San Francisco. So that was my, that was my flight of fancy. We don't have to go any farther down that rabbit hole, but it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> uh, I will say with Bengals Ravens, I'll keep this one short cause it was an absolute slaughter. Um, Lamar to Mark Andrews is a problem. It's going to be a problem for many, many years. And I know that the Ravens passing game has been kind of up and down this season. But when Lamar is working the middle of the field and he's got Andrews actually catching the ball, there were a couple key drops against Kansas City. But when Mark Andrews actually catches the ball, that is an unstoppable duo because he gets open almost at will. Uh, And not to mention, you know, Lamar is a much more accurate passer Every single year, it seems like he gets better as a passer, in my opinion. But like that, to me, is like equivalent to Mahomes and Kelsey. It's equivalent to the good version of Jimmy and Kittle, where like when when Andrews is on and when Lamar is on, like there's there's nothing you could do about it. Like that duo is just money. He beats up linebackers, he beats up safeties, he beats up corners. Like nobody can cover the dude. Nobody can cover him. And Lamar, again, when he's dialed in. And, you know, avoiding the rush and making good throws on the run. Like, it's, to me, one of probably the five or six most deadly quarterback-to-receiver connections in the league. Yeah, it's dialed. It's a we- it's a weekly feature you should get used to because we've seen it almost every week this year. He did have that one down week where he got drops right after we sung his praises. So, again, maybe we jinxed him. But uh, he came right back and started making big catches, Had more had more this week. You're going to see that for a long time. If they keep both of those players locked up in Baltimore, you're going to see that connection over and over and over again. So Panthers-Falcons will forever be the game that cleaned Atlanta's GM slash coaching house. Uh, Atlanta famously after the game got rid of both. Um, Dimitrov and Dan Quinn. Uh, It was a divisional loss on top of looking bad doing it. It was just too much after the previous couple of weeks. Their their sort of death warrant was already signed, uh, not necessarily sealed, but there was very little hope, I think, of of anybody doing anything in Atlanta that was going to change minds. Substantively, it was a question of when, not if. Uh, This turned out to be the week. Um, Mike Davis on the Panther side is looking really, really good. Did we talk about him last week? Because I had a note, and I don't know if we got to it. We might um, have. I, I just said there was something about what I wanted to say. If I didn't say it last week was the note was there's just something about Mike Davis playing in the Carolinas, right? He played there really well in college. Uh, he was okay when he came out in his previous couple of stops. He was all right for the Bears. This year, he looks different. He looks really, really good and explosive. 
He is powering that offense in a way that I think very few people would have predicted in the absence of CMC, uh, who went down with an injury early. Um, he He's a problem, and that Panthers team is going to be a problem. We talked about them last week being a, a mid-pack team that's sort of ascending. Uh, I think we probably expected them in a, in a certain way to beat the Falcons, but they did in handily. Um, they are the Bears' next opponent, so I'm, I'm very interested in that, and they are not going to be an easy out. They've got that defensive pass rushing line. We've talked about Jeremy Chin. They've got a bunch of options working on offense. Teddy throwing to, you know, again, more Gase castoffs, Robbie Anderson, um, Mike Davis, like uh, DJ Moore had a big catch and run for touchdown. Uh, they're, they're not going to be an easy out. So Falcons kind of have an uncharted course ahead of them. They got to sort of play out the string. Uh, the Panthers on the other hand, are you know, New first-year head coach, new uh, quarterback signed up that should be there for a few years and are playing well more quickly than most people thought. So Panthers fans have some have some hope, which is awesome. Yeah, also, by the way, uh, Yitor Rosmatos, Derek Brown, Brian, uh, Brian Burns Brian as Burns, a trio yep. are, I think, the next kind of big thing in terms of young defensive lines in the league. All three of them were having a phenomenal start to the year. You know, Burns had a great year last year, his rookie year. Um, really turned it up even another notch this year. I think going into this week, um, you know, if, you, if you're a believer in PFF grades, some are, some aren't, I kind of take them with a grain of salt, but just kind of based on my cursory film study, I don't totally disagree. Uh, Yitor Grossmatos and Brian Burns were both top five graded edge rushers going into week five. And that's even with Grossmatos being unlimited snaps. Like his his pressure per snap uh, was somewhere between like six and seven. So he get a pressure every six or seven uh, rush attempts, which is really 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 good. That's like top ten to fifteen, you know, type ex- expectations. Uh, same for Brian Burns, Derek Brown, just mauling every single center and guard that dares even look at him. Uh, like this this young D line, they got problems on the back end, but the young D line, oof. Man, they're they're legit. Yeah, absolutely for real. Uh, and now moving on to my team, the Texans finally getting their first win of the year over the. I don't even know what to really think of the the Jags at this point because they're so painfully inconsistent. You know, like they'll take they'll take a team to the wire. You know, they'll put up thirty points and then they'll come out flat the next week and. You know, James Robinson will look great one week and then get absolutely stonewalled the next. Gardner's been up and down. Like, I I don't, I honestly have no idea what to make of the Jaguars at this point. I know they've had some key injuries, but everybody's had some key injuries. Like, you're five weeks into the NFL season. Everybody's hurt. Uh, And the Jags just, I don't know what they are. (laughs) For what it's worth, they are my top don't bet on them team. Like, I don't bet regularly, but if I had money, I would not be betting on the Jaguars because I'm with you. I'm kind of doing the shrug thing, going, I don't know. I don't they know. looked amazing last week. They looked like garbage the week before. They've had, I think, more success than uh, certainly I thought they were going to have, and they've looked better. Their skill positions are, are pretty good, but their consistency is uh, scary. This could be a four-win team or it could be an uh, a, a nine-win team, and I would believe you either way. I, I legitimately yep. don't know what they are. Uh, what I do know, uh, Deshaun Watson, still a magician, still able to escape sacks at will, make throws on the run. Uh, he is still the slipperiest quarterback in the league. 
Is he the most powerful at breaking tackles? No. Is he the fastest like Lamar? No. But in terms of just absolutely getting out of defenders that have him already wrapped up, it's like uh, the Eli to Tyree throw in the Super Bowl. That happens like once a game. It's it's insane with him how, how adept he is at getting out of of guys that already have him in the grasp. I I don't know how he does it. He's just... Magic. He's, he's freaking Gumby, man. Magic is the perfect description because as I watch that, I'm always like... The the scary part is I expect it now. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, he's not going down. We're like nine out of other ten quarterbacks. I'd be like, oh, yeah, he's... Pro-. Watson, I'm like, nah, he's got at least one more of those on this play. Like, he's, <laughs> he's just gonna hop out of another one. And he does. It's The reason is because he does every time. It's regular. Like you said, it's not a once in every three games, oh, my God, you know. It's every game he does some kind of crazy limbo in the backfield, pops out, goes left, goes right, you know, ducks under a guy, stands up and throws for, you know, first down or touchdown. It's so – you can set your watch to it. He's, he's the hardest guy to sack in the league. Not because he gets the ball out quick, not because he's, uh, you know, like Brady or Manning where you're just not getting there to begin with. He's the hardest guy to sack in the league even when you have him dead to rights. Like, it's it's insane. Um, and I also want to nominate another, speaking of sacks, another hit for shot of the week. Uh, Jacob Martin coming up from behind Minshew and kind of karate chopping that ball out while just absolutely destroying him from behind uh again legal hit but forcing that fumble in a huge spot um you know coming up with a big play for a defense that was historically bad going into week five and actually you know kind of helping this defense have its first good performance all season long uh big ups to Jacob Martin he's definitely also nominated for shot of the week yeah, that one was one I was watching, and I was like, get rid of it, get rid of it. <laughs> Just <laughs> talking to Minshew on the TV like he could hear me, right? Like, no, 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 no. Oh, man. Because Jacob Martin, that was just a blast. Like, that was a high-impact hit, and I'm not at all surprised that Minshew let it go because I, I don't, I'm not sure anybody could hold on to the ball getting hit that hard at that angle like Martin just unloaded on him. So another worthy worthy entry for bootleg shot of the week for sure. So Vikings Hawks, we need to talk about it. We've talked a lot about both of these teams, so we'll keep it short. But I saw your post on Twitter, so I had to lead with this. Uh, KJ Wright, wide receiver candidate? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that one-handed stab. And again, you, you watch KJ move around. He's kind of stiff. Like he's not as fast as he used to be. But the dude's got go-go gadget arms, and when he drops into his zone, if you try to throw it over him, again, he's, I don't want to say he's, like, deceptively big, but he kind of is, where, like, he'll get he's up deceptively there. deceptively long. Yes. Right? And he'll just yeah. kind of reach up there and palm that thing, and like a, you know, like a power forward, and it's like, what the hell, KJ? Like, <laughs> where did yeah, that come like, from? At least throw him some of those New England linebackers at tight end to the flats for TD routes, right? That's yeah. A patented bill belichick staple i feel like kj could excel in that role but uh on to more serious matters uh russell wilson as we all know is relentlessly positive uh much to a sort of cloying degree for a lot of people but he backs it up it's ridiculous he's in crappy conditions it was raining like crazy on sunday almost no time left about 44 seconds 
decent rush coming equals a dime into a tight window to win the game, of course, because it's Russell <laughs> Wilson. And he was saying it the whole time, which, look, a lot of quarterbacks say it, but they don't do that with the regularity that Russell does. He's on the sideline. Come on, guys, let's win the game. We're going to win this game. No, we're going to win this game. Let's go win this game, right? He always is like that. So that's who Russell Wilson is. It's not an act anymore. He's just always like that. But he goes out. And he throws a dime to DK to win the game, to to bring everybody in the Northwest blood pressure back down. Um, it's just unbelievable. It's kind of like Deshaun avoiding sacks, right? You just expect Russell Wilson to win the game at the end. You're, you're actually kind of surprised when he doesn't at this point. I, I remember seeing uh, statistically they had a uh, Vikings had a 96% chance to win when they were on that fourth and one. And if they converted it, obviously it'd be a 100% chance to win the game would be over. If they missed it, they still had a 79% chance to win, which means at the time that they got stuffed, the Seahawks only had a 21% chance to win. And I remember seeing that uh, in real time, that tweeted out, like I think it was one or two plays into the Seahawks drive. Somehow they already calculated that, but I was like, whatever, I'm just going to trust the math on that. Uh, And I remember seeing that (laughs) tweeted out and I was like, 21% chance to win? It's Russell Wilson inside of two minutes. Like, this game's over. Like, Seattle already yeah, that's won. That's way too much time. It's, that's way there's no too way. many percentage points. It's, like, it was fourth and ten. I was like, this is going to be a touchdown. And it wasn't, but it was still, like, a huge play to DK on fourth and ten. I was like, because of course it was. Like, it's Russell. Like, 21%. Ch- what? Who? Who? What? No. Yeah. Who who left him this many percentage points? What are you doing? <laughs> that's, that's, uh, yeah. It's guaranteed. It's, it's just, it's amazing that we consider it that way but he has made that non-routine play so routine that we're just used to it at this point i know you've got a shout out to travis homer um for an unorthodox bootleg shot of the week yeah on that fourth and ten by the way which we just knew was going to get converted if you go back and watch it uh travis homer was on scan protection and he saw the db coming off the edge on a blitz kind of hustled on over there and sold out his body. I mean, he got absolutely obliterated in the process. He was the one who took the shot, but he took it for Russell. You know, it was like a Secret Service jumping in front of the bullet moment. Uh, But it it gave Russell just enough time to unload that ball to DK on 4th and 10, keep the drive moving, and eventually, obviously, they scored and won the game. But uh, Travis Homer, you know, taking that shot for Russell was what, in my opinion, beyond Russell himself, was what won Seattle that game. So I want to give a shout-out to Travis Homer, uh, nominate him for Shot of the Week for taking a shot, not not giving one, but taking a shot for his quarterback. I love it. I think it's great. Uh, and his teammate, DJ Dallas, uh, one of the highlights I pulled from DJ Dallas's college career that I threw on Twitter during the draft process is exactly the same thing. It's it's him stepping up sort of into the into the cone of the pocket and realizing that there was a free rusher on the left-hand side and and sort of doing the old torpedo defense and going over and like spearing this guy off just far enough that gave his QB again half a window to throw and um you know you got to love running backs who who sell it who see it who sell it and and are quick enough to get that done so um yeah, I think it's absolutely a worthy addition to the to the shot of the week nominees. So you watched Bills Titans. I didn't get a chance to because I was prepping for the podcast. But uh, um, what what do you think of the Titans just steamrolling a team that's been great this year, not just good? Turnovers, man. It's all about turnovers. You know, with two really good teams in the AFC, 
I will say uh, the Bills seem to kind of come out a little bit flat, and Sean McDermott kind of alluded uh, that he was a little bit upset with the scheduling of this game on a Tuesday night. Uh, he, he says he's not going to like formally complain, but there's been some rumblings in the Buffalo media that the team was upset that the schedule was thrown off. I'm going to tell all the media, I'm not formally going to write it up and send it to the league office. So I'm not going to formally complain. I'm just going to complain to millions of people who read this. He, he made his displeasure known uh, yeah, about no the kidding. scheduling for this game. But I will say the Titans also still had to play on a Tuesday too. Like, and they didn't come out flat. They barely practiced for two, two and a half weeks. They didn't come out flat. They came out with their hair on fire, played a damn good football team, forced three turnovers, um, you know, took advantage of the Bills deficiency at corner other than Trey White. Uh, you know, Derrick Henry, it was kind of a tough slog for him, but he still got it done in the end. Ryan Tannehill looked great. You know, Titans looked damn good. And that was, again, barely practicing for two or three weeks. Like, you kind of have no excuse to come out flat against a team that couldn't even practice. Uh, And the Bills came out flat. So I think this was a game that was really not great for anybody on the Buffalo side, truth be told. Uh, But especially so for Allen and the coaching staff, because this was a game that, in my opinion, you have the advantage. You should take advantage of this and win in this scenario. I, I know... The schedule was thrown off. I know it's a Tuesday night. I know it, it kind of, it's weird. I, I'll give you that. It's weird. But it was weird for the other team too, and they kicked your ass. So uh, credit to the Titans, credit to Vrabel, because he's a hell of a coach. Um, and I, w- I will say this, you kind of made a good point. Let's not paint the Titans as victims of circumstance because they created the circumstance. Uh, they kind of brought out a lot of uh, their own troubles in terms of the, the spread of, of COVID in their facilities. So they kind of created this whole mess, but at the same time, credit to them for overcoming their own problems. Is that the best way to word it? But they're not victims, but also good on them for overcoming it. I, I'm not really sure the best way to say it, but I, yeah, I think, I think kinda... again, it's a both things can be true. Look, the Titans caused this, right? They clearly caused this. They violated the protocols. They gathered for an unauthorized practice. They ended up having a COVID outbreak, which is terribly unfortunate for them, for everybody around them, for every, all the staff members that got it. There were quite a few of those. Um, it's not a good situation. COVID, as we all know, is a serious health thing. So that is not great. And yes, they caused it. And, you know, the NFL... Uh, I don't want to say in their wisdom, I want to say the NFL in the end decided to reschedule this game. Again, both teams knew on sort of the same notice, short or not, that it was going to be played on a on a weird night, um, on a, a sort of weird amount of rest or whatever you want to call it, uh, for as much as you might not like to consider it. Uh, <laughs> NFL players maybe not be superstitious, but they're definitely stitious. Um, they like their routine. They like their regularity. This was most definitely a throw off. We mentioned at the top of the show that the last Tuesday night game was in 2010. And the last time before that was 1946, I think. So, you know, the second Tuesday night game in a long, long time. I get it that it's strange, but Do you remember right. the circumstances for the 2010 game. Cause I, I uh, don't blizzard, I believe. Is that what it was? Okay. Yep. Uh, anyways, Look, the Titans rallied, everybody had the same circumstances, and they didn't just squeak by 
with a win against the Bills. They obliterated them. This game was not in doubt at any point, right? From from halfway through the first quarter to the end of the game, you knew who was winning this game. And again, the Bills have not been like good this year. They've been great. You know, they've had some tight games, but as a team uh, performing on both offense and defense, they have been at or near the top of the league. They are, they're an exciting team. They're an ex- ascending team. And the Titans just blew them up. Like it wasn't close. So, you know, you can say great job on the Titans to end up coming to a weird game and playing very, very well. That's true. Also, geez, Titans, tighten it up. Don't do this again. It was really stupid, (laughs) dangerous. The league is extremely pissed at you. People were bandying about the death penalty for your season and saying, you just forfeit everything. You're done as of right now because you did something that was really dangerous and and endangered a lot of people. Uh, I think that was a little bit harsh, but, you know, having them forfeit the games they missed until they could field a competent team seemed reasonable. Like, it's not a small thing, but, you know, the NFL made the decision they made and credit the Titans and Mike Vrabel especially for, you know, rallying his folks and saying, all right, it is what it is. We made our own bed. We're going to lie in it. We're going to make the best of it. And boy, did they. Um, They come out and just crush Buffalo on a Tuesday. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. So again, credit to the Titans, Bills. You got work to do. And with that, EJ, uh, we've been going for almost two hours now. This is the longest bootleg episode we've had in a while. Clearly, uh, we're we're not great at this whole blitz blitzing the blitz thing, but uh, we're we're trying. We're trying. I I, I hope that uh, hope that we still have some somebody listening at this point. Two hours into this thing, let us know if you are. By the way, comment comment down in the comments if you actually listen all the way through on these super long episodes or if or if you kind of want us to tighten it up a little bit no pun intended uh but before we get out of here ej what are you working on uh not much this was it for the week uh i've got a bears over beers coming out on thursday really just profiling the panthers uh as the next opponent for the bears but other than that uh lots of work for me this week so very little football besides this what do you got going on uh, I'm working on a film room. I think it's going to end up being on the Browns running game. And I think I'm going to wait until after they play Pittsburgh because having back-to-back games against <laughs> the Colts and the Steelers, you know, two of the best run defenses in the league going against arguably the best run game in the league, like very much a strength versus strength type matchup. So I'm probably, I've, I've done a lot of film study on, you know, when they ripped apart Dallas and they, they ran pretty well in the Colts, all things considered, even though Wyatt Teller got hurt. I really want to see how they do against Pittsburgh because this is literally the the highest graded offensive line in terms of adjusted line yards in the league versus the highest graded defensive line in terms of adjusted line yards allowed in the league. So it's literally a best on best situation. So uh, working on that film room for the Browns versus Steelers on top of all the other layers to that game that I'm sure will be talked about ad nauseum leading up to it. Uh, But other than that, not really working on much, uh, and I'm looking forward to all the games this weekend. And I'm happy that you guys were able to stick through this whole episode. I know it's a long one. We'll try to get them shorter, I guess, if that's what you want. But there's there's a lot of football to talk about. And uh, the more we can talk about in these episodes, the less we have to bring up at the point after next week. So, again, thank you to everybody for listening all the way through this behemoth of a show. We will see you guys next week for the Week 6 recap. And until then, see you later. Take care, folks.